Welcome to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. My special guest for today's episode is a close friend of friend of the pod and all-round legend, DeGraft Mensah. DeGraft reposted a post of this guest that she wrote about her experience of living with Crohn's disease and I immediately had a read of it and wanted to get her on the podcast. Lucy Connolly lives in Brighton and was diagnosed with Crohn's in July 2020 at the height of the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, we discuss this journey, when she first started experiencing symptoms, the shame and stigma she felt in hiding these symptoms from her family before finally addressing it, being treated and thankfully she can now manage this currently incurable condition as best she can through medication. Lucy is also at time of recording being screened for ADHD and autism as she has shown symptoms of both these conditions throughout her life. While she is still undiagnosed we discuss these symptoms and how they've affected her mental health but do not explicitly state she has them for the purposes of this podcast. This, of course, might change or not in the future. We also discuss how you listeners can support someone in your life who lives with Crohn's or a related inflammatory bowel disease condition, or if you live with one yourself. We also talk about the factors that can affect someone developing one, and we finish by talking about this new journey of mental health advocacy she is embarking on off the back of that Instagram post. So this is how my conversation with Lucy Connolly, went. Lucy Connolly, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. Thank you so much for letting me check in with you. I've covered IBDs on the podcast before with a male guest, but I was really keen to get a female perspective. And when your very close friend, my boy, DeGraft, posted your Instagram post about your story, I immediately wanted to get you on and and share your journey. So first off, mate, how are you? I'm really good. Happy to be on speaking about something close to my heart. Excellent. So we've got a lot to talk about. And I want to talk about the whole story that is Lucy outside of just the IBD. So without further delay, are you ready to get into it and start the show? I am indeed. Let's start your pod by talking about your mental health journey, pal. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Take me back to early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Lucy we meet here? So I grew up in London with my mum and dad, and I had a very good childhood. My parents were both very loving. They took me and my brother travelling across Southeast Asia and we did all sorts of amazing things. So in my very early life, I think I was quite a happy kid. The problems kind of started to occur when my parents split up and my stepdad was introduced to my life. I think as a kid, I found it really difficult to cope with someone new being introduced, especially someone that I didn't know and I didn't trust. Uh, And I think my brother struggled with it as well. And then we moved to Devon when I was about 11, 12 years old. And things started to get a lot worse from there. And I think the culture shock of moving from London to Devon was quite hard for me. 
um, big city life, moving to a tiny village. I just wasn't used to it at all. And as a teenager, things just started to worsen, really. I mean, I got really anxious and I struggled in school with making friends. And I think naturally as a teenager, this happens anyway, because you're going through puberty and there's a lot of changes happening in your life. But I especially struggled as a teenager. And I think that's when I really began to realise that I was different and that my mental health was quite seriously bad. Then when I left school and I went to university, things seemed to get worse. I think my problems with friendships were just really affecting me badly. And I just struggled to form relationships with people. I had quite a tumultuous boyfriend (laughs) at uni, so that affected my mental health a hell of a lot. Thankfully, I met DeGraft, our mutual friend, and he genuinely pulled me through a lot of my struggles at uni. So I'm sort of eternally grateful to him for being in my life. Then post-university, I began to discover that I couldn't really cope on my own. And then I got to the point where I am today, where I'm doing much better with my mental health and I have it a lot more under control. Before we talk about your IBD specifically your Crohn's when it comes to forming friendships do you think a part of it came down to the fact that you moved to Devon and you had that instability so you you had that early experience of having to make new friends and perhaps you didn't adjust to it as well as you could and then that carried into say other forms of your life especially university absolutely I moved around a lot as a kid my parents never really found a place in London where they were happy so we just kept moving around kept moving schools kept changing environments and yeah that definitely created a lot of instability for me and my brother so I I agree with you yeah it definitely affected things Uh, not having Mm. a stable environment not having one place that I could call home and I think that also created a difficult relationship with me and my parents because I was taking a lot of it out on them even though It wasn't necessarily their fault, but they could never find somewhere that was a good environment for us. And they were just looking out for me and my brother's best interests. But as a child, I didn't really understand that. And I think I took a lot of it out on them. So Mm. yeah, definitely unstable environment does affect kids a lot. The main part of your mental health journey we're going to discuss, Lucy, is a condition you live with called Crohn's disease. Now, I'm a fan of snooker, which is a very niche sport for most listeners. And I first heard about this condition when a professional player called Ali Carter came out about living with the condition over a decade ago now, which I imagine was pretty hard because there was a a lot of stigma back then and a lack of education. And there probably is still to some degree now. So for the listeners who don't know, tell me how it affects your physical health and your mental health in your day to day life. Sure. So firstly, I'll start off by defining it. So Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel disease. It can affect anywhere across the digestive tract, which means that you can have symptoms from head to toe. Typical physical symptoms will appear in flare-ups, and they can include bloody stool, diarrhoea, vomiting, nausea. But there's a whole array of symptoms, and it can affect people differently. People can experience it in very different ways. For me personally, my flare-ups included passing blood, diarrhoea, you know, up to 20 times a day, just very extreme, vomiting, nausea, abdominal pain and cramping. I also managed to develop a bunch of other conditions as a result of my Crohn's and having a weak immune system, including erythema nodosum, which is a another inflammation condition, which entails swelling on legs and bruising. In terms of my mental health, 
it's very common for Crohn's to affect me mentally because it's such a depleting condition. And for me mentally, I developed a lot of health anxiety where I was panicking constantly about when I was next going to flare up. And, you know, the unpredictability of Crohn's can affect a lot of people mentally because you just have no structure or any kind of awareness of when things are going to get bad. So you're just constantly in a state of anticipation and worry. But yeah, it can affect people very differently. And not everybody will develop mental health problems and not everybody will have the same symptoms as me physically. It's completely independent or personal, sorry, to who you are. You spoke there about the physical symptoms and they are obviously very stigmatised and they're very private to that person because obviously it's bowel related. Mm. So prior to being diagnosed, you refrained from talking about your Crohn's symptoms. Mm. Why did you do that and how did it end up to the point where you were rushed to A&E? Yeah, so as you said, there are a lot of stigmas attached to having Crohn's. The sort of symptoms that you get are so personal, they're not the kind of thing that you want to be speaking about openly, really. I mean, some people are okay with it, but me personally, I was really insecure about it. And, you know, I didn't really want to speak to my friends about the fact that I couldn't leave the house because I was going to the toilet a million times a day. You know, it's not something that you feel comfortable with. And so I did hide it for a period of time. And as a result of doing that, it got so much worse. And even by talking about it would have relieved a lot of my anxiety surrounding it because I would have a space to speak about what I was going through. But I just didn't really ever feel comfortable with doing that. And I think also it was partially to do with the fact that I didn't want to accept that it was something worse than it was. I kind of woke up every day thinking oh, it's going to get better tomorrow. It's going to be fine tomorrow. But then it never got fine and it just got worse and I think going through that period of acceptance of the fact that it was a more severe condition than I wanted it to be meant that I refrained from talking about it for longer. I imagine one reason for that was because of the fact that Crohn's is currently at the time of recording a incurable health condition Mm. and I would certainly imagine it's pretty hard to accept that you've got something that's incurable so how did you feel when you were diagnosed? And just tell me about that experience from A&E to what became a year in and out of hospital. Yeah, sure. Obviously, it being an incurable condition, it makes it all the more hard to deal with. And I think when I was in hospital, I was sort of told about Crohn's immediately because my symptoms were very closely connected to it. And in a sense, I was lucky in that way because a lot of people go many years without having a diagnosis, whereas I was diagnosed very quickly. I found it really, really hard to deal with the fact that it was incurable because, you know, like there's nothing you can do at at the point of diagnosis. Mm. That's it. You have to deal with it from there. And there is no prospect of it ever going away. And I think when I was in hospital, it was so intense. And my case was so extreme that I really did feel like it was going to be like that forever. And I think you do feel like that when you're initially diagnosed. You just think, the worst of everything you think you're never going to get better and you think your condition is just going to be in a constant state of you know intensity for a really long period of time and because I was rushed into hospital it was just really extreme and I don't think I processed it for a very long time and I think a lot of people really struggled to process the condition took me about a year to really come to terms with the fact that I had Crohn's disease I didn't want to accept it for a long time and 
I didn't want to speak about it at all because I was so ashamed of it. So yeah, the period of processing it was really, really hard and really intense. I want to talk about the medication process now because you tried three different medications to try and manage the Crohn's initially. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the listeners about each one and why they didn't help before you found one which worked for you, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, which you're on now called Ustekinumab? Yeah, Ustekinumab. Sure. So when I went into hospital, the first medication that they tried me on was infliximab. This medication is supposedly the most effective and has the best rates for success. I was on that for about two, three months and I immediately, it just wasn't really working for me. They really wanted to try it because sometimes it can take a while for the medication to set into your body and start working. But yeah, it just it just didn't really progress for me at all. So then they tried azathioprine with infliximab because sometimes the combination of those two medications can be a really good combo. I think when I joined those two medications together, the side effects for me were just so horrific. All my hair was falling out. I just felt so ill all the time, drained the hell out of me. Going for infusions and taking tablets was just, uh, it was a whole cocktail of medication. Really struggled to cope with having to take two of them and deal with double the amount of side effects. And then also the fact that they weren't working at all and I was continuously flaring up and entering hospital again. Also worth mentioning that I trialled prednisolone. Prednisolone was really effective for me Although, unfortunately, I couldn't be on it for a long period of time as it's a steroid and steroids can have really damaging long-term effects. Prednisone helped me to get in remission again after going in and out of flare-ups. Also, throughout the course of me trialling infliximab and azathioprine, if that makes sense. Then, onwards from azathioprine, I then started ustekinumab, which is the medication that I'm on at the moment started on infusions and actually initially they didn't work for me and I went back into hospital after a month of being on the second lab but because I trialed so many other medications I was just sick of it at this point and I just really wanted to push through and continue trying with the second lab and I'm so glad that I did because obviously I'm at the point now where it is so effective for me to, you know, to where I'm in remission and I'm I'm really well in my health. So persistence sometimes can do wonders. But yeah, as I said, it, it wasn't working for me initially. And I think for a lot of Crohn's medications, it can take up to six months to have the desired effect that, that you want. So I'm very lucky that I persisted and I'm at a point now where I'm very well and I have minimal symptoms and very light flare-ups. But I did have to go through a hell of a lot of medications and trialling to get to this point. That is a very common thing with, with Crohn's, that people do have to trial a lot of medications to find out what works for their body. And it can usually takes up to a year for most people to find a good medication. Given where you were when you were in denial about the Crohn's and you didn't want to accept it, to now where you're in this really good place, you're on positive medication that works for you. Has it given you more optimism about life or belief in yourself to overcome very difficult life challenges? Absolutely. That's something that I've tried to find the positives with the condition. And that is is one thing that I see positively 
it's changed my outlook on life and the things that I'm grateful for and the people that I'm grateful for and I've definitely found a lot of solace in having Crohn's and going through all that I went through having been into hospital multiple times and you know the first time that I was in hospital rushing to Amy as you said I nearly died and my body was in such a serious state that you know, I was struggling for my life at that point. So when you experience something like that and you experience that kind of near near death and that kind of extremity with health, you realise how important your life is from that point. Now that I'm well, I'm looking back in hindsight, I can see all that I am grateful for and yeah, I have a real joy for life now and I, I don't take any day for granted, especially with my health and in the state that I am. As well as this new found gratitude for life, you've also been able to support others through your recovery mm. journey. So, you know, in my personal life outside of the podcast, I know very few people in my immediate social circle or even extended social circle with an IBD, Lucy. Mm. But one of your friends was diagnosed eight months ago with Crohn's. So how did you help them through navigating their journey with Crohn's given what you went through? Yeah, so I think it was probably roughly a year ago, year ago now that she began experiencing her symptoms. And we've had many conversations about our Crohn's and you know, we share a lot of things together now that we didn't before. And I think I've provided her with so much help and guidance with her condition and she wouldn't have known even what Crohn's was if I didn't have it. So I think that helped her to get help a lot quicker and help her to understand what her symptoms might be a lot faster than perhaps she would have before, you know, meeting me and learning about my Crohn's. So also having this joint health condition together, although it might be morbid at times, it has helped us <laughs> to get stronger together. And it's funny, but we do laugh about it together and we do make jokes about it and it kind of helps you to feel better about having this incurable lifelong condition and sort of see the positives behind it as well so it's really helped to have this friendship and it's it's helped me a lot as well through when I'm going through tough times with my mental health or you know my my physical flare-ups so it's yeah it's been really positive I want to talk about the science now, because when we spoke off air, Lucy, your family seems to have a history of IBDs, which got me thinking about whether these conditions are hereditary mm. at all. So can you give me your perspective on it? And is there any evidence sure. for this? So despite Crohn's disease being discovered over 100 years ago, and there being tons of research, nobody really knows what has caused it there are a number of speculations and a huge gathering of research around what it could be and i can talk you through what those uh, different things are so as you said it runs in my family my uncle has ulcerative colitis which is the sister disease of crohn's and is another ibd so they're very closely connected and a cousin of mine on my dad's side has Crohn's disease and she has a stoma. So, and also my brother was recently diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. So yes, there are a lot of connections in my family and there is plenty of research to suggest that you have an increased chance of having Crohn's disease 
if you have it in your in your family and in, in your genetics there's also research to suggest that it could be linked to your immune system and the makeup of your immune system and the different gut bacteria that you might have i don't know a, a lot of the science behind that so i won't go into too much detail but i know that that is there is speculations around that also environmentally scientists think that it could be caused by by your environment as it's more common in urban cities and developed countries in the uk the numbers are huge and i think that's my personal opinion is that's largely to do with our, our western diet and all of the fast food chains that we have here and all the toxic chemicals that we have in our foods and in the things that we consume on a daily basis which leads me on to the next one which is diet and i found that to be a huge thing for me hence why i've transitioned over to a vegetarian diet there's a number of studies that show how much diet influences your immune system and the relationship between your gut and your mind so diet is a massive thing when it comes to inflammatory conditions and the kind of things that you're putting into your body of course are going to have an impact on things that you might go on to later develop when you were developing these symptoms lucy i'm right in saying that you were also under a huge amount mm. of stress you had a cocktails of things going on the pandemic mm. is, is one thing you were experiencing issues with with a relationship and like you said your diet also wasn't mm. the best so if these factors hadn't all been affecting you do you think you'd have developed Crohn's or is it just a hypothetical that you haven't really wanted to think about I have had so many thoughts about this and the first thing that <laughs> I thought when they told me I had Crohn's is what the hell have I done what have I done to cause this? Mm. And I think that it ponders on a lot of people's minds. I have no idea whether if I wasn't going through all that stress and if I wasn't eating badly, whether I would have got Crohn's because obviously there is this speculation about it potentially being genetic. So I may well have got it even if I wasn't going through all that. And I think it's really important not to kind of go over those details over and over in your head because it can drive you crazy <laughs> and it has driven me crazy. But I mean, when I think back to that time, I do think that that anxiety and that relationship and my diet did all probably play a part in me experiencing such a severe flare up of my Crohn's disease. But as, as I've said, I, I can't exactly say the reasoning behind it. I can only speculate. I want to move on to two things which you're still in the process of being diagnosed for or not, Lucy, which is ADHD and mm. autism. So as far as I'm aware, at time of recording, you haven't been diagnosed with either yet. So we're going to frame this discussion as symptoms of these two things that you've uh -huh. experienced. So tell me first about the ADHD symptoms. When did they start and how did they impact your yes. mental health? So I'd say that from a very early age, I can see signs of the symptoms. For example, I was very erratic. I had attention issues i loved being the center of attention i had to control mm -hmm. every situation i really struggled when things didn't go my way i found it difficult to maintain relationships and often had selfish tendencies in the sense that i was so inside my own head and what i was feeling that i didn't take into consideration what anyone else was experiencing as a result of my behavior and i think that was probably one of the main reasons why i really struggled with friendships because i 
I just wasn't ever thinking about how my behavior was affecting other people because I was just thinking about what I wanted for myself and just didn't really have any awareness of of others. So those were my main kind of obvious symptoms. But internally, I also really struggled with focus and concentration. Found it really hard to just do one thing. And I still find this really challenging today, actually. I would often just start lots of little tasks and never really complete anything. <laughs> I think this is very common with ADHD. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I was really messy and untidy. And I'm not saying that all people with ADHD are, but I definitely experienced a lot of messiness. And yeah, those were kind of my main symptoms that I experienced mm. and still experience. I spoke to a previous guest called Alex Kashuta, who has ADHD, and she told me that ADHD doesn't just affect women differently to men in some cases, but the way that women process it is also different. Can you just unpack your experience for the listeners and have you found any commonality yes. with that? So you're right, there's a lot of research, new research uh, to suggest that women with ADHD show symptoms a lot differently to men. And that's why a lot of women are getting diagnosed now, because prior to sort of the last, I think, maybe up to a decade now, all the research was conducted on boys and men. So nobody really knew mm. what... Our symptoms yes, were loud, very basically. very loud. And, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of studies, not just in ADHD, but in autism and, and a lot of other mental health conditions that suggest yeah. that women internalise a lot of their feelings and mm. don't necessarily show things in the same way as men and boys. For example, I, I was a really chaotic person, but I managed to get on with my work in school and I passed my exams because I just kind of like internalised all of these feelings and just squashed them as much as I could to get on with what I needed to get on with. And it was kind of uh, counteractive when, when you think of ADHD, but that was just my experience with it. I also find that women are a lot more emotional and have different ways of communicating so they process things in a different way and internalize things differently you spoke there about not having a natural inclination to be self-aware because of mm. these symptoms so how did you begin or try to begin that process where you weren't as self-aware or weren't as emotionally mature was it more difficult did you have to put different tools in place to say someone else who wasn't experiencing those symptoms um, I actually don't think I realised I was doing it until very recently. And I think that's because I didn't really understand anything to do with my mental health until recently. And perhaps I didn't mature as much as others did. So I think a lot of coping with those symptoms and my experience with it just came with maturity. I don't think I really researched into ways of coping or... And maybe that's why I struggled so much with it, because I just never really looked into it or tried to understand why I was that way uh, until sort of the last couple of years. So I'd say that I, I never really found out ways to cope with it and ways that I could improve how I was. I just sort of was how I was and just sort of lived my life like that. <laughs> <laughs> One quite strong example which came off air in our chat mate which could indicate a diagnosis <laughs> of ADHD or autism or something else entirely was when you had quite an extreme reaction shall we say to your ticket not working at a train station you you called it a breakdown so just tell me about that day and why it provoked 
such a big sure. reaction in you? I have a number of experiences that I can tell you about. <laughs> I bet you do. Um, for this particular yeah. example, this was at a time where, I mean, actually prior to when I spoke to my doctor about this uh, process of ADHD diagnosis and autism, and I actually used this example on the phone to my doctor as to why I was coming to her with these problems. So my mental health was really struggling at this point and I was having panic attacks daily and my anxiety was really suffering and one day I was returning home to Brighton where I live now and I was in a rush to get out of the ticket barriers tried to put my ticket through and the ticket got rejected and I slammed into the doors the barrier doors and there was a queue of people behind me and it was just like a major sensory overload of the impact of the barrier and people trying to push past me and everything kind of not going the way I wanted in that moment just caused the most extreme reaction completely broke down um you know crying and just like that panic attack you know everything just crumbled and my reaction was so extreme that I thought right I need to get this sorted I need to do something about this because I can't keep having these reactions and you know this was something I'd experienced before and I kind of just thought was normal so I think it took me having that breakdown to realize that okay this isn't what people go through this isn't you know this isn't what normal people feel I need to do something about this you said to me you also experienced quite a lot of mood swings with extreme amounts of energy, sometimes multiple times a day. Now, this extreme swing can be, doesn't exclusively have to be, but it can be a symptom of something like borderline personality disorder. It can be sometimes linked to bipolar. Have you investigated this too? Yeah, I spoke on the phone with my doctor about borderline personality disorder. I haven't spoken to her about bipolar because... The nature of my mood swings is very quick. And with bipolar, right. they, it's for a much longer, concentrated period longer. of time. Yeah, so you'll correct. have months yeah. of depressive episodes and then months of mania. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, it'll be like three hours of intense energy and then like three hours of feeling really shit. And then it will go back up and back down and back mm. up. So a completely different structure to how I reacted to things. But BPD is very similar. And I did actually go through the other symptoms of BPD with my doctor, but they didn't seem to think that that was something connected to me. It was only the mood swings, really, that could be associated with that. I didn't have any of the other quality uh, qualities, <laughs> the other symptoms that you might have with BPD. So I, I have looked into it and I do resonate with some aspects, but, but yeah, it's not something that I'm being investigated for at the moment. And then the other thing that you are getting assessed for is autism. So tell me why your doctors think you might have this and what symptoms of autism did you exhibit related to it when you were younger? Yeah, so there has been a development with the autism screenings and I went in for my initial screening and actually it's now been determined that I won't be continuing. I think the reason why I was put in the initial screenings was because the... Symptoms that I was experiencing with my ADHD were very similar. And I think autism and ADHD do cross over in a lot of ways. For example, the difficulty with change. That was something that I experienced as a kid. I didn't like change. For example, with me moving from London to Devon, I could not cope. I did not like it. I did not want to do it. And I put up a fight. (laughs) So I think 
that was the main reason really why I went into the autism screenings was my coping mechanisms were very closely related to how someone with autism might cope and also the mood swings as well not really knowing how I was going to react to certain things whatever it might be just generally and when things wouldn't go my way and I would have really angry outbursts get really aggressive not physically but verbally um just in my stress yeah that's what really what they mm. thought might have been autistic tendencies the final part of your mental health journey we're going to discuss lucy is your previous experience of anxiety and depressive mm. episodes which have occurred throughout your life now i say depressive episodes because you aren't diagnosed with depression so how have both of these affected your mental health mm. when they've occurred so for as long as i can remember really i have experienced anxiety but i only knew that i had anxiety recently like in the last sort of five six years before i kind of just thought that was how normal people thought <laughs> so when i was a teenager my anxiety started to get really extreme and it was mostly social anxiety uh, i really struggled to speak to people i would have thought spirals and I wouldn't be able to sleep and I would have panic attacks and struggled with my friendships and feeling insecure about who I was and really hated myself for a long period of time and it's only in the last sort of year two years that I've began to find a love for myself and uh, understand myself a bit better and know that my anxiety isn't who I am and I think actually starting Certainly, the medication that I'm on now has completely changed my anxiety and the way that I look at it. And now I have those anxious thoughts, but they're not attached to me in any way. And I can detach from them and see that it is just my mind. It's not who I am. It's not something that is dictating me. It's not controlling me. They're just there. They're just they're just thoughts and they're just feelings. But for a long time, I really struggled to to cope and to deal with them. And I don't really know why I put off going to see somebody about it for so long or, you know, to get medication. I avoided that for so long. And I think the reason why I haven't been diagnosed with depression is because actually those depressive episodes were as a result of my anxiety. And that was a side effect of having those thought spirals and having those panic attacks and those extreme thoughts. They sort of led into depressive episodes. But obviously with depression, it's a completely separate thing. I want to reflect now on your mental health journey, Lucy. So you said earlier in the pod that you didn't feel normal in childhood when you reacted to things the mm. way you did. Who's the Lucy we meet now? And do you feel normal mm. now? It's an interesting question. I don't think I'll ever feel normal. I think I'll always be different and have those quirks about me. But I think I just learned to embrace them now. Whereas I couldn't do that before now I kind of just see all of these things I have you know my Crohn's my anxiety my coping mechanisms I just see them all now as part of who I am and I think that's part of my mental health journey and part of understanding what kind of person I am and who I'm becoming is just learning to accept the faults and learning to accept that I'm not a perfect person and I'm maybe not a normal person but that's kind of why I thought it's a challenging question to ask because is anybody really perfect is anybody really normal Every, everybody has their quirks and everybody has those things that define them and that's what makes us human and that's what makes us who we are um, and I think that's really special 
And what has this mental health journey taught you about yourself, do you think? I've learned a lot of things about myself. I've learned that I have an anxious attachment style. I've learned that I need a lot more time to process my emotions. And although I struggle with change, I just need to give myself time to adapt and let those emotions arise and just watch them pass. I've learned that I need to be alone for a while. Being in relationships hasn't really helped me in any way shape or form so I'm now on my own solo journey and I know that that's what I need for now and so that is what I'm dedicating to myself even though I might have those times where I think oh it'd be nice to have another person I know that I'm not ready and that's something I have to accept and understand and yeah I've learned a lot of things about myself especially in the last year just learning to love myself and learning to accept who I am I think is the biggest most recent development and as a final question before we move on if you could go back and talk to the Lucy who was hiding her Crohn symptoms from her friends and family the Lucy who had just been mm. rushed to A&E or the Lucy was who was having that mental health breakdown <laughs> in the train station what would you say to her knowing what you do now there's so many things that I would want to say and I actually think about this a lot what I would say to my childhood self what I would say to that person who's really struggling and I think the main thing that I would want to say is you're going to be okay everything's going to be fine you're going to get better you can do this and uh, I think just giving myself that positive reinforcement and encouragement and also just outlining the good things that I have in my life and just you know, showing those positive influences and those amazing people that I have around me and in my family who've created such an amazing support system for me and just, yeah, just going over those things to be grateful for and focusing on the positives rather than all the things that can make you feel so down and bad all the time, just flipping it on its head and, you know, turning the frown upside down, if you like. We've talked all about your mental health journey, Lucy. I want to talk now about this very early advocacy journey you've gone on for IBD awareness. Mm. So tell me how it began with that Insta post and your emotions that you felt before posting it mm. and afterwards. Yeah, it was a very anxiety-inducing process. <laughs> <laughs> always is. The first one is always is. Yeah, and I've learned that now. My first post was actually spurred on by my friend that I mentioned earlier. My friend Kat is very open about her condition and she has shared it plenty of times on social media and is continuing to advocate Crohn's and I think she is an incredible woman for doing that. And because of her going on that journey and sort of immediately sharing her experience with being in hospital and, you know, all of these insane things that she went through in her surgery and her journey with her Crohn's. Um, so because of that I decided I was going to write up my first post <laughs> and I did that and Crohn's and Colitis UK who are this amazing charity here that support people with Crohn's and are advocating for Crohn's disease ended up posting my story on their social accounts and it got a huge response you know hundreds of likes and people messaging me and commenting and you know, Freddie, you approaching me with this podcast, like it's it's started <laughs> Don't off. Don't give me too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 
started off this journey and positive feedback that I've received from sharing my story and hearing people saying that they want to now start talking about it and these amazing positive responses have made me want to continue my journey and made me realize that actually it's not so bad and who cares if like somebody thinks you know oh she's got Crohn's that's so weird like who cares I don't care anymore now that I've I've started this journey I'm just realizing that the more important part of this is sharing my story with others so they feel more comfortable to share their own and just getting the word out there about Crohn's whether people think it's a negative thing or not it doesn't matter as long as they know what it is and you know there's some word getting out about it and more people become aware of it then it's just going to make breaking down the stigmas and breaking down those taboos a lot easier and so I'm really enjoying this early part of my advocacy journey and I, I, I can't wait to to share more. Let's talk about how we break the stigma now, because as we said earlier in the pod, bowel conditions are very stigmatised and because we're English, we aren't all shouting about it <laughs> at any given moment like our American cousins are. Yes. So how do you and how do we go about breaking the stigma with IBDs? Mm, I think... I would say having more open and honest conversations with people about what they're going through is so important. People who are going through difficult times with their IBD, just talk about it with your friends, talk about it with your family, start getting those conversations going. And I think for people who don't have IBD, just researching into the conditions, learning about what symptoms people go through, learning about how to support those people and just trying to share as much as you can about what you know with the world and just getting the word out I think that's the most important thing for breaking down stigmas is just talking about it and just trying to spur more conversations and trying to get the media to include more stories about IBD than than they do now which is very minimal at the moment and also is a part of the stigma that if our body malfunctions we can not only feel embarrassed by it because of IBDs, if we are someone who lives with it, but also perhaps less than human. Absolutely. It is Crohn's. The symptoms that you have are so dehumanising. Having no mm. control over your bowels is mm. really, really horrible feeling because you feel like you are not in control of anything basic. You know, these are these are basic functions that your body has that you know, most regular people don't even think about, you know, going to the toilet. Oh, that's, you know, something that we do every day. It's it's just a normal part of your body functioning. And when that malfunctions, like you said, it feels so dehumanizing and you don't feel as much of a person anymore. And it, it is so horrible. So definitely the taboos are associated to that and people being judgmental about that lack of control and the things that you go through and that's why those taboos and sickness have come about because of people being judgmental essentially and people creating those negative thoughts and feelings surrounding that function i repeat a famous saying by comedian miss pat very often on this podcast lucy <laughs> that if you can laugh about your pain you own it and i do as much as possible joke about what I've gone through not just to help me but to show people that they don't have to treat me any differently they don't have to tread on eggshells around me and a lot of my humor is quite dark and on PC so sometimes <laughs> I even have to temper my own humor about it because it people might not be ready for it so do you employ that with yourself and your friends 
Lucy, when it comes to your IBD, to help them feel more at ease or comfortable around you? Absolutely. I think it's a very British thing to do that, to sort of have that self-deprecating. Yeah, taking the piss is very British. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. self-deprecating yeah. humour is so common with British people. And it does help us. It makes us feel better about what we're going through, to joke about it, to laugh about it, to get it off your chest. Because otherwise, it's all doom and gloom. And, you know, you don't want to be mm. crying into your pillow all the time. So I won't talk about it with all of my friends I won't joke about it with all my friends because you know there might not necessarily be that kind of relationship there but for sure with my closer friends like for example my friend Kat that I've men- mentioned multiple times now we have this jokey relationship about you know we'll joke about how many times we've gone to the toilet in a day and we'll joke about like what we've been through all you know our near-death experiences like these are things that we try you know we joke about to try and make ourselves feel better and I think you know that's your coping mechanism then that's fine and I think that's that's a great way of dealing with it for sure and and as we reflect on this advocacy journey mate because it's still very early on what has it taught you about yourself and what do you hope to achieve with it in the future as well Hmm. it's taught me that I'm stronger than I think I am sharing my story is something I never thought I'd do on social media you're opening yourself up to a lot of criticism and hate so I've shown myself that I can do it and I am fearless and I'm strong and I think in the future with this I just want to continue evolving and and sharing more and more and more with people about my story and other people's stories and hopefully one day it might evolve into a platform of its own where you know who knows exactly who knows what it's going to evolve into and I think that's the beauty of it it's unexpected what it's going to be and it's almost an exciting journey learning what you might become and learning where your advocacy journey might take you. Our final topic of conversation, Lucy, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, if we have time. It is a general natter and chat about mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health? I can finally say that I'm at a point where my mental health is manageable, <laughs> you know, on actually now. And I am so glad that I made that step to take that medication. I feel so much calmer and I just feel like I can process things a lot better and I'm understanding myself a lot better. I really do feel like my mental health is in so much better a place than it was a couple of years ago. And I'm feeling really good about myself my confidence is growing and I am in a place now where I just feel I feel good about myself and I I feel like I'm going in the right direction with things and I hope that my mental health only continues to get stronger from there I know that I'm gonna have ebbs and flows with it like everybody does you know you have your ups and downs it's a roller coaster but I'm hoping that it won't reach the lows that it has reached before now that I'm on this path to a path of growth and self-discovery. And what age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health for the first time and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? Oh gosh, I mean, I honestly, I believe that I only really became self-aware about a year ago. It's been a really long journey. I mean, I'm 26 now, so it's quite late to discover, really. That it's never late. It's never too late. <laughs> it's never too early. <laughs> yeah, I've I've only really understood the fact that my anxiety is separate from me. I think I always thought that my anxiety was me, and those thoughts that I were having were me telling myself things. 
and I've only really found out now that uh, since starting Saturny that it's separate and you know it's just like a part of your mental health that is what is causing that it's not actually who you are so I've only really just become self-aware which is crazy to think but I'm I'm just glad that I'm at the point where I have <laughs> and, and mm. you know I, I have discovered now and I can just begin learning more about it. And can you tell me also about the first conversation you ever had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And what impact did it have? Did it feel like on the one hand, a big moment or a big burden or weight had been lifted off your shoulders or on the other, something fairly Mm. insignificant, easy and normal to do? Mm. Um, I don't know if I can remember the first conversation that I've had about my mental health, but I mean, I don't know if as a child or growing up as a teenager, I ever spoke about it. I mean, I probably spoke with friends about how I might have been feeling sad one day or, you know, whatever. But I don't think I ever spoke about the extent of it. And I wish I had because I feel like that would have helped a lot. And perhaps maybe my friends would have said to me, I'm going through that too. And then we would have understood it better. But even in school, we were never really educated about what mental health was. I mean, it might have been mentioned in science class or whatever but they never went into detail about it or provided us with any advice so as part of my friendship group nobody ever really spoke about it growing up and it probably wasn't really until university when I actually started talking about it so my first conversation maybe might have been with DeGraft (laughs) and we've always had an amazing relationship and he's really helped me a lot with my mental health and everything that I went through at university so I imagine the conversation that we would have had would have been incredibly positive and helpful for me but I think because I was in such a difficult phase of of dealing with my mental health health I'm not sure if even a conversation would have helped me to get on track with things but yeah I'd say that's probably when I started properly talking about it And what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you, a sound, being in a particular social environment, a sensation, Mm. or have you not figured all of them out yet? I am still learning. Uh, I haven't figured everything out yet. Uh, I'm very early in my process with it. But I do know a couple of things and I know that socially I really, really struggle with it. And I'd say that's my main trigger. If I get into a situation where I think I've done something stupid or you know, where I think people are judging me, I think that's when I am especially triggered. People's perceptions about me and the way that they view me indefinitely have always affected me massively and and they still do. I think I'm learning to deal with it a bit better, but I still really worry what people think about me and I really worry how I am perceived by people, even people I don't know. (laughs) And I think that's my main issue with my mental health is just trying to to let go of what other people think about me and do what I want to do with my life and conversely then what positive tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help Mm. you feel better which ones have worked and maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't Hmm. I think a lot of the things that I've tried are very closely linked to my Crohn's for example my diet and exercising really 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 important not only for keeping my Crohn's under control but also my mental health I feel really crap about myself if I haven't you know if I haven't been active if I've just been in my room all day doing nothing or not eating properly then I feel really crap about myself so I think just keeping those structures in my life uh, in place and making sure that I'm giving my body love and 
just looking after my body is really important for me and those are the main coping mechanisms that I have for both my mental health and for my Crohn's. Things that I I need to try more of, I'd say meditation is a huge one, especially with ADHD. If I do end up with a diagnosis, controlling those mood swings and those adverse reactions and also just my energy levels. Meditation is is really important for helping to control that and helping to observe your thoughts and um, just be in stillness which is you know something that a lot of ADHD people struggle with so that's something that I definitely want to try and also therapy as well CBT that is something that I'm hoping to get into soon and something that I would advise for everyone is to try therapy you know even if you don't struggle with your mental health it's really important to speak about things especially with someone objective who can help guide you in in life and help you to to process what you're what you might be going through every day or you know your relationships that you might have i think i think therapy is a really important tool and actually i think it's massive in america and hopefully in the uk we'll begin adopting a bit more of that mindset of wanting to talk about your problems a bit more and what is the best book or as i call it mental health bible you've read for your mental health now it can be mental health or self-help related mm-hmm. but it doesn't exclusively have to be it can be fiction and if you can't think of a book maybe a podcast or a film or a tv show or anything else mm. um i read a lot of books in my time to do with personal development but i don't know if they have necessarily helped with my mental health i think for me it's more visual content that helps. When I was younger, I'd watch a lot of YouTube videos and I think just watching people talking about their mental health journeys has definitely been the bigger help for me in terms of coping with my mental health. Just seeing or listening to other people's stories and people who are going through similar things to me just helps me to feel a bit more normal and like I'm not the only one going through this. So I'd say that more visual content has helped me than Mm -hmm. than reading. If there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health, what would it be and why? (laughs) I'd just say live life to the fullest. And although that is a massive cliche, you know, like you only live once or, you know, live life to the max. It genuinely is something that I think about every single day and just treasuring what you have in this moment and being present is so important because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen next week. And I think with my whole experience of going through my diagnosis with Crohn's and having all these flare ups, one thing I've learned is just to take each day as it comes and just to try and be as present as you possibly can and as mindful as you possibly can. And as a final question, and this is a broad one, what more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds, all walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? Um, I think surrounding yourself with people who you feel comfortable talking to about your mental health or your health conditions is, is so important and identifying those people that you can talk to and then continuing by having open conversations about what you're going through. Never bottle anything up, never feel like there isn't somewhere where you can go. Even if you don't have those people in your life, there are always services that can help you. Um, there are always always people that you can talk to, um, forums you can be a part of, organisations that can help. 
So I think that that would be my main piece of advice to somebody who's going through something and may be afraid to talk about it, just to seek those platforms or to identify those relationships and just use them as best you can. Lucy Connolly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking In podcast and talking to me, pal. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In pod. I want to say a big thank you to Lucy for being my special guest, talking about her Crohn's with such honesty and openness, and of course, for checking in with me. I'll put Lucy's social media handles in the show notes if you want to follow her journey and learn more about IBDs. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to everyone who's tuned into this episode. If you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media, tell your friends or work colleagues about it, if you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing here at Vent and want to support us further, you can go to our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or buy a Vent t-shirt or buy a ticket to Just Checking In Live number four, take two, on Saturday the 15th of April 2023 at the Victoria Pub in Dalston. Tickets are absolutely flying. Ticket sales going really, really well. Really excited for this one. Hopefully we can sell it out. All of those links are also available on our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember guys, it is always okay to vent. Hold up. 